bastard Maxwell. All he'd cared about was getting those specimens he'd stumbled on back to the museum undamaged. Whittlesey laughed silently to himself. Ancient eggs. As if they were anything more than worthless seed pods. Maxwell should have been a paleobiologist instead of a physical anthropologist. How ironic they'd packed up and left a mere thousand yards from his own discovery. In any case, Maxwell was gone now, and the others with him. Only Carlos and Crocker, and two guides, had stayed. Now there was just Carlos. Whittlesey returned to the note. Use my notebook and the artifacts as you see fit to help restore my good standing with the museum. But above all else, take care of this figurine. I am convinced that its worth to anthropology is incalculable. We discovered it yesterday by accident. It seems to be the centerpiece of the Mbuan cult. However, there is no other trace of habitation nearby. This strikes me as odd. Whittlesey paused. He hadn't described the discovery of the figurine in his field notes. Even now his mind resisted the memory. Crocker had wandered off the trail for a better look at a jacamar. Otherwise, they'd never have found the hidden path slanting down steeply between moss-slick walls. Then that crude hut, half-buried among ancient trees, in the wet veil where daylight barely penetrated. The two Botokudo guides, normally chattering non-stop to each other in Tupian, shot up immediately. When questioned by Carlos, one of them just muttered something about a guardian of the hut and a curse on anybody who violated its secrets. Then, for the first time, Whittlesey had heard them speak the word Kothoga. Kothoga. The Shadow People. Whittlesey was skeptical. He'd heard talk of curses before, usually right before a request for higher wages. But when he emerged from the hut, the guides were gone. Then that old woman, blundering out of the forest. She was probably Yanomamo. Obviously not Kothoga, but she knew of them. She had seen them. The curses she'd hinted at, and the way she'd just melted back into the forest, more like a jaguar yearling than a septuagenarian. Then they turned their attention to the hut. The hut. Gingerly, Whittlesey allowed himself to remember. It was flanked by two stone tablets with identical carvings of a beast sitting on its haunches. Its claw held something weathered and indistinguishable. Behind the hut lay an overgrown garden, a bizarre oasis of bright color amid the green fastness. The floor of the hut was sunken several feet, and Crocker almost broke his neck on the way in. Whittlesey followed him more carefully, while Carlos simply knelt in the entranceway. The air inside was dark and cool and smelt of decaying earth. Switching on his flashlight, Whittlesey saw the figurine sitting on a tall earthen mound in the middle of the hut. Around its base lay a number of strangely carved discs. Then the flashlight reached the walls. The hut had been lined with human skulls. Examining a few of the closest, Whittlesey noticed deep scratch marks he could not immediately understand. Ragged holes yawned through the tops. In many cases, the occipital bone at the base of the skull was also smashed and broken off, 
the heavy squamosa bones completely gone. His hand shook, and the flashlight failed. Before he switched it on again, he saw dim light filtering through the thousands of eye sockets, dust motes swimming sluggishly in the heavy air. Afterward, Crocker decided he needed a short walk to be alone for a while, he'd told Whittlesey. But he hadn't come back. The vegetation here is very unusual. The cycads and ferns look almost primordial. Too bad there isn't time for more careful study. We've used a particularly resilient variety as packing material for the crates. Feel free to let Jorgensen take a look if he's interested. I fully expect to be with you at the Explorers Club a month from now, celebrating our success with a brace of dry martinis and a good macanudo. Until then... I know I can entrust this material and my reputation to you, your colleague.